I lied on my application. You know, I said I hadn't done marijuana, but I have, you know, I'm not sure what to do about it, whatever. And then a week or so later, the DI's, this is in boot camp. The drill instructors come grab me, take me down to admin and. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra enhanced living. Hey guys, it is RJ Singh here, and we are bringing to you our next guest this week on the Ultra Habits podcast. And we are joined by Dale Walls, who has become a friend and someone that I highly value in my own personal network. We met some time ago, and I joined Dale on his podcast. It was a real depth of questioning, uh, some real dynamic conversation, and I knew I needed to get Dale on our podcast at Ultra Habits to share his wisdom with our audience. Now, Dale is a executive leadership dude, but not your ordinary guy. He was a U.S. Marine, and when he exited the U.S. Marines, he went on to um, create and start a IT services business, which he ultimately grew and exited. Now, he goes on to say that after 20 years in executive leadership, he founded the Lion's Guide, which is his new initiative to help others apply high performance and leadership skills in their lives so they can achieve their personal and professional goals faster. Now, a bit about Dale. At the age of 17, he was extremely lost, purposeless, a only child of a broken home and living in his grandmother's attic. After being stitched up in a bloody street fight, he agreed to attend a week-long boot camp hosted by the American Legion run by the U.S. Marines, and he ultimately joined, and this set him on a path of leadership and high performance. And when he got out of the U.S. Marines, he returned to a small town where he founded the IT services company Corsica Technologies, which... Look, it, it ultimately grew to become one of the best in class in the United States. After nearly two decades of growing Corsica to eight-figure revenues and making multiple acquisitions, he ultimately sold the company, and now he is living his life's purpose in the form of the Lion's Guide. Now, he goes on to say that he spends his days fulfilling his passion to help others learn high performance and leadership skills to apply in their own lives. So. Look, Dale is a extremely mission-orientated man. I've had the pleasure of having this man in a network of mine, getting to learn more about him offline. And he's a remarkable man, very humble, very down-to-earth, very easy to talk to. He comes across is pretty laid back, but when you look in this man's eyes, you can see a fierce determination and he knows his shit. And that's what we wanted to unpack today on the Ultra Habits podcast. A man lost or a kid that was lost, ultimately joining the U.S. Marines, re-evolving himself into the man that was able to leave the U.S. Marines, start an IT services company, and then grow it to one of the best and the biggest in the United States. I think there's a story to be told, and we wanted the opportunity for all of our audience to get that exposure. Now, we are back. We are in 
the new year. So happy new years, everyone. I hope that you are intentional. I hope that this year starts off bringing you closer to where you want to go and that you're putting in the hard work to get there. Because ultimately, as you know, and I know, we're the only ones that can do the work for us. So before I do leave you in the capable hands of Dale, I just want to quickly read a review from one of our good mates in Canada, Patrick. He's an author of The Collaborative Path, all about conflict resolution in negotiating in high stakes. He goes on to say that RJ is an engaging host. His guests from the ones I've listened to provide not only insightful content, but also pragmatic, usable habits. Then it's choice to change by adopting and integrating ultra habits into everyday life. Thanks for that rap, Patrick. We value you. Love you, man. Anyways, take care. Y'all have a great week and I will be back to you next week with another episode and another guest. Peace out, guys. Dale, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. Look, it, uh, I like to refer to you as my brother in arms, right? Like we both, we both have this, this podcasting life. Uh, I obviously was on your show and wanted the opportunity to have you here at Ultra Habits. So welcome, man. Yeah, man. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, look, um, we were just talking before the show about how you came up short on your hunt and just all the different things that you like to do when you get out there. I think you're out there with your 12-year-old son. How often do you get out hunting, man? I, I Not as much as he would like to. He's always like, every day, he's like, Dad, can we go? And I'm like, go in the morning i'm like no bud you got school tomorrow he's like yeah but i can just go late and are you picking up early i'm like no you know um so so we, we just go on the weekends um now during covid when we were like we were home anyway and everything was online so i guess maybe i spoiled him a little bit last year because he yeah. wanted to go a lot and i'm like yeah man let's go you know nothing else is going on i had i had just exited my company everything so i was free bird um you know so i was like yeah let's go and this year he's back in school and he's kind of like you know poo poo pants when i go no bud you're mm. gonna get on the school bus you're gonna go to school and you know but i might reward him one day and um get a surprise and pick him up early or something how have you found the process of hunting in terms of like you know it, it it's a you you know the kids are getting exposed to you know, life and death and the realities of of living how have you found hunting in terms of how it's impacted uh, your, your kids? Like, has it helped them mature? Have you seen, have you had any weird conversations or any kind of, um, you know, has anything come up for you in that process when you're out there with them? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things there. And I think one of what you'll appreciate is one, you're getting outside and you're enduring the elements a little bit. I mean, especially something like your, your reference in the picture, I was deer hunting, and in, in my experience, maybe not everyone's, and I'm not king hunter, so all you king master hunters or whatever, hey, hey man, keep, send, yeah, send me your advice and everything. I'm wrong. I need it. But with regard to, you know, me, yeah, I tend to go hunting is when the weather's tough. It's raining, it's blowing, it's snowing, it's cold. And so what I appreciate about the experience for my son is 
him being passionate about it and wanting to do it. And I go, Hey, but it's snowing and it's freaking 20 degrees and blowing 15 miles an hour right now. And he wants to go right. He, he wants to endure that to, to uh, get to the hunt. The other thing is um, really there's hunt you know it's it's called hunting not killing right you know so you know he's young and he's brought up like hey i want to go hunt this i want to go that and some things you don't eat right you know maybe it's like crow or fox or whatever so that's yielded some opportunity to talk about like the intention like okay why are we doing this right this isn't this is hunting not killing right and and you know i don't want to just go out you know but i mean it's perfectly natural he's a kid he wants to go shoot things with a gun you know he's he's american you know, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you know, so, so it, it's had the opportunity to kind of talk about intentionality going, Hey, look, we don't want to just go shoot things to shoot them. Like we want to go, you know, harvest a deer or geese and duck and come home and be, you know, clean it, cook it and, and all that. Like mm-hmm. I'm all for it, but I, I'm not really abdicating like, Hey, let's go, let's go shoot things just for the sake of shooting things. So I think those have been a couple of good opportunities, you know, and, and parenting, I guess, around it for sure. Yeah, look, I think it's great. I think, you know, like vegan or, you know, you, you can you can look at that conversation on veganism and, and people that, um, you know, hunt their own meat, like Joe Rogan and that crowd. Like, I, I think it's great. I think it's all about sustainability, looking at doing things it's differently. I've got no view on meat eating or not meat eating. I eat meat myself. Um, but I definitely think that the act of hunting definitely teaches us a lot, right? Like patience teaches, uh, you know, children about life and death, it, uh, you know, intentionality, yeah, uh, you know, bearing the weather uh, and the difficulties of the terrain. So I think it's interesting. So with that being said, why don't we dive, Dale, into how you came up? I know that you ultimately joined the U.S. Marines. Maybe give us the journey as to how that came to be. Yeah, that one's funny. Um, so I joined the Marines. Why did I join the Marines? It's a, it's a little background to it. It's really like I come from a broken home. You know, I think my dad split when I was in the second grade. Um, you know, my mom was really young when she had me. So, uh, you know, she I think she was seventeen or so ish when when she had me. So she was young. Um, and you know, I ended up growing up in my grandmother's house. My my grandfather was. Um, physically disabled from a stroke you know when i was five he had a stroke so he was couldn't talk couldn't walk restricted to a wheelchair so my grandmother's like a caretaker for him but he's in the house and my mom's working double jobs to make ends meet but but she's still young trying to figure herself out right like you know she's in her 20s and 30s with a kid and you know whatever and and i grew up in my grandmother's attic you know and so there wasn't a lot of um you know um uh, you know, and I don't come from like, I wasn't never beat, n- n- none of that jazz, but you know, they were occupied. So I was on my own a lot. I was a single child. And so, um, you know, I was out being mischievous, you know, causing trouble. And, and, and I was smart enough. I had values and you know, I came, I came from a house of values. So I, I was never, I knew what consequences were. So I wasn't, we were out there having fun, but we were never doing anything too far. You know, I, I knew it was too far was. And, um, but I, I really didn't have any direction. And, um, I think it was between, it was like my junior, it was between my junior and senior year, you know, and, and look, I've always been a skinny dude 
and I just got to talk a lot of shit, you know, to avoid the conflict. Like, I got to, I got to bark a lot to stay out of it. And, and, um, and, and that led, I, I was got in a fight one day and just, it was fist to cuffs. And I came home just a freaking bloody mess. Um, and, um, you know, my mom had me in the hospital at night. I had to get stitched up and, and whatever. And, you know, she was like tears in her eyes. And we had just gotten this letter in the mail from, <clears throat> there's, uh, a thing called boy state out here that it's put on by the American Legion. And back then, at least I don't know much about it today, but it was hosted by the American Legion, but it was run by Marines. And so um, I remember to this day, kind of being in the hospital bed, the, the nurse or whoever just injected in my lip, freaking those Novocaine needles. If you had stitches, like that's the worst freaking part. I just got that crap injected inside my mouth, inside my lip. And my mom's sitting there after she left, she's kind of got tears in her eyes. And she's like, well, you go to this boy state. You know, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'll go. Because I saw the hurt, you know, just, you know, I was uncontrollable. She was trying to figure, you know, her own self out and, and grow and make ends meet. And here I am just running around causing hell and creation. And um, and so so I went to Boy State and just got exposed to, like, what the Marines were. Because I didn't know. I, I really didn't. I had no military in my family, uh, certainly no male figures. You know, my grandfather's disabled. My, my, my father's away. And um, so... I thought everything was army, like everyone, you go be a soldier or whatever. So I get there and there's a young corporal and I really dug it. And I was on duty one night and he's just telling me about the Marines and what it was. And I came back and enlisted right away. So before I even finished my senior year in high school, I enlisted into the Marine Corps and that was it. It turned me around. So where I didn't give a crap about school, now I gave a damn. So I came out, I got good, great, great, like I had purpose, you know, I was going to go be a Marine. And so that was it. I just got in enough trouble, caused enough trouble for myself to want to make a change. And, you know, I joined the, joined the Marine Corps. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a powerful story. Dale. Um, and reflecting back, how did not having, knowing what you know today, and I know your father and reflecting back, how did not having a dad, do you think disabled you at the time? Like reflecting back, like you might not have been yearning for a male figure, maybe you were, but like looking back, how did not having that strong male influence impact you? Yeah, and I guess it's to 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 be a little clear, like I had every other weekend dad when he, you know, so but but again, not really, right? So did I have mm. a strong figure no and then and then there was gaps where i didn't talk to the dude for five six years at a time you know so 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 just to be credit anyone comes back on this like i had a father but not really you know as far as mm -hmm. like what we would traditionally one mm -hmm. and i bring that up to bring to your question is like yeah i mean i feel that we we need um we need both right we, we need a that strong male figure and then we need that that emotional, you know, caregiver figure that we see um, both sides of humanity, I guess, right? Like that, that are showing us that, you know, giving us that encouragement and lessons as, as a as a male on male, let's say, and then also the nurturing of a mother and support and um, and some of that emotional intelligence that you have that you get from females in your life, you know, in, in that regard. So I think there was a gap in that for for me from from a stability perspective and um and i think still to this day i look for it in different places i think I, I found a lot of what i needed in the marine corps and that structure and and really the 
I don't know, um, showing me what I could be, right? I, I don't think I had someone, I never felt like I had someone in my corner from that father figure role going, let me show you, let me show you how far you can go past where I've been in life or whatever. Um, and really being there for me and encouraging me and, and just kind of making me feel like I had uh, something to fall. Like they weren't going to let me fall. Like they were going to keep propping me up if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I started learning the structure of being a Marine and, and, um, and so on before I really started to find myself, I'll say in that, in that regard. When you, signed up and enlisted for the Marines that year at school, you, you changed, right? You transformed because you had purpose. Mm -hmm. Do you remember reflecting back to that period, what fundamentally changed within your narrative? Um, Do you know what I'm trying to say? Because I, th I think it's really important that what you're saying there is you had redirected purpose. Mm -hmm. And with that renewed sense of purpose, it then enabled you to rise to the occasion. I'm interested to understand what the narrative was in your mind or what flipped for you in terms of the story you were telling yourself that then made you do better. Yeah, well, it was a standard. A standard had been set for me. Um, the Marines are known as the few, the proud, and they they carry about them a standard. And I didn't have that up until that point. And and again, I don't say this in any judgment or or even mean it derogatory around like my community, but it's it's a small town. It's blue collar, you know. No one in my line had been to college or anything like that, right? So my standard, if I just went with status quo, was was kind of low. And here I got exposed to a new standard and I wanted to live up to it. So if, if I'm understanding your question, like that was it, I had a new standard set for me and I wanted, I wanted to go get it. Like I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to. And again, I don't mean this derogatory, but I, I wanted more than what I was seeing around me. And it kind of showed me a way to get there. Brilliant answer. Yeah. Brilliant answer. It's the power of direction, right? And we will elevate ourselves to the identities that we're creating, you know, and, and you now have what a kind of true north or a north, a compass, right? Right. Before you had no sense of where the hell you were. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, even here's, here's one for you. Even in boot camp, like I had smoked a little marijuana in high school, just recreational, screwing around. But I, I lied about it on my, the enlistment. And I was like, you ever, did you ever smoke marijuana? No, sir. You know, and just, you know. <laughs> but in the middle of boot camp, as an example of this, I, I wrote a letter back to my recruiter and said, Hey, look, I lied on my application. You know, I said I hadn't done marijuana, but I have, you know, I'm not sure what to do about it, whatever. And then a week or so later, the DI's, this is in boot camp, the drill instructors come grab me take me down to admin and um and kind of question me about it and they took me there to go update my paperwork and put in a waiver there was no factor but on the way down the di was kind of asking me like what'd you do that for and i told him i was like if i'm going to be a marine like i need to be all in like i and and, and integrity is a big part of it you know and um i was learning the standard and i felt like I wanted to correct something. Even today, looking back on it, it was like a really insignificant thing, right? Like a check, yet yeah, check no instead of yes on a stupid box box on a form. But in in my heart, I'll say, 
Um, it wasn't who I was there to be and I wanted to fix it. And I will never forget that DI, he had me in there. So he asked me about it on my way, uh, there, obviously he had read what I sent my, um, recruiter and everything. And, um, he was even proud, right? You're in there in the admin shop and he goes, tell her some, um, contractor, civilian, whatever. He said, tell her why you wanted to fix this. And I told her the same thing. Like I said, this is integrity integrity is important to be a marine and i want to be the best marine i can be so i wanted to fix this and he, he was proud of me right and i was like back to your point like finally i had someone in going look at you you know and and it was it was you know that's it that's being a marine man it's such a such a fascinating piece there on the power of group standards right and like people will either rise to that or they'll piss off, right? Like it's, it's, it, and you know, you can look at that within an organization as well and talk about that a little bit down the track. So let's get into your, your Marine journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What did you learn? Why did you leave? Like, what was that full period when you reflect upon it? What were your takeaways, man? Oof. Um, you know, a lot of things. I mean, you know, one, like I didn't feel I was going to college, not, not that I could have gone to college, but, you know, frankly, you know, I didn't enjoy school. School bored me uh, in this. I've heard a million other people say this, but you've, it's same story you've heard before. Like I, school wasn't a fit for me. It was boring. You know, I, I you know, and I knew I didn't want to kind of fall in line with how things went around here if you didn't go away to college. And what the Marines gave me was the opportunity to go get to work. I was I was going to get a job I wanted. I wanted to do computers. And I joined in 98. So this is kind of like beginnings of the internet or at least interconnectivity. Um, so I was having fun kind of playing, you know, multiplayer shooters over dial-up, you know, in the 90s and figuring out how to make that work. And, um, you know, the Marines were an opportunity to go, not have to go to college because I kind of viewed that as a, as a nuisance and um, something <laughs> I didn't want to do. Um, and I knew I would fail. Like I knew, like I didn't care enough. And, and, and my, no one had gone to college before me, nor was I set up to go to college or definitely didn't have the money to go to college. Um, but I was going to go get a job. I was going to get paid right away. Six months, learn a trade, start getting a job, whatever. Um, so I did, I, I joined the Marine Corps and I learned everything about it. I mean, um, you know, today IT is very specialized, but when I joined, I learned how to pull cable, build websites, build server, like everything. Everything. You don't look like an IT guy, Dale. It's I don't crazy, know. bro. Like, sorry, you don't meet the stereotype, brother. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's that, but um, yeah. yes. But I I learned everything IT, and um, and I got to, I, I enjoyed it. I got promoted really quick. Like again, now. I felt like getting exposed to my potential, I'll say, man, I just took off. I, I got into running. I was like really embodying my athleticism where lack of confidence, I had never really lived it out before because I didn't want attention on me. Um, here I am in the Marine Corps, again, around other people, like pushing themselves to go into the next level. And, and, uh, and so it really, I really, it was it was a breakthrough time in my life. Um, learned a ton about leadership, um, and I mean, we we are embedded with leadership at Ground Zero in the Marine Corps, and that was huge. Like learning 
about that and um and became a major way of my philosophy of life today and um i got out because you know um really for the money i i didn't join to be a career marine um but i joined i got college money as a result of my enlistment um i people were getting out all around me i was like making less than minimum wage um and guys were getting out making 100 grand a year as soon as they got out things like that and um, so I didn't want to stay. I, I, I joined the Marines one because I wanted to be a Marine Two, I wanted to get a trade and get out and get on with life. And I, I was married to my high school sweetheart while I was in. So being in the military and married is kind of tough because you're not really in charge of where you're going to live. You're going to, you're going to get deployed. You're going to get stationed overseas. And, and for me, uh, there's nothing wrong with all that, but for me, um, I didn't want to risk my marriage in that world because it's tough i mean you, you, you i mean especially when i was a sergeant of marines you see you know marriages fall apart left and right for all the all different sorts of reasons right wrong or indifferent and um i just didn't want to risk it you know i'm still married to my wife today after what's going to be 22 years so um yeah that was, that was a factor of it too can i ask you in your opinion particularly with young boys do you think that there is, you know, like we hear and we know how young boys are, right? Like kind of we're, we come up, we're a bit wayward, we got lots of energy and none of us, a lot of us don't like school, right? Like, like it seems to be the way, particularly with my tribe, of people, right? People like yourself. Do you think the military provides an opportunity for young boys to get disciplined first and off the back of that discipline, once you have that discipline and structure, it, you can then go off and do whatever you want, right? Like it's something I've been contemplating with my own son who's obviously very little, he's four, four and a half. But for me, like before I throw him into trying to push him into a craft to kind of become excellent in a craft, we require discipline, we require focus, we have to be strong in terms of our character. And I've been contemplating getting him involved in cadets, all that kind of stuff to shape him first. Mm. And then off the back of that, he can figure out what he's passionate about, what he wants to do. What's your view on that in terms of the military's ability to do that, good, bad, or ugly? A hundred percent if they want to be there, because I often get hit with the um, I'll, I'll come to your question by way it's asked me often, which is people hear I was a Marine and they'll go and they'll see my success and they'll go, see, everyone should be join, join their join the military right out of high school. They should be made to go. And I go, well, listen, <laughs> you would think I agree with that, but I don't um, because I saw plenty of folks. In, in, and I'm going to come back to a word that you said, opportunity. I saw plenty of folks join the Marine Corps and blow it. And they shouldn't have been there. They ruined their lives and or all, or maybe even lost their lives for the wrong reason. I'm not talking combat. I'm talking, you know, uh, wrong, poor decisions. Um, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be a Marine. I wanted to go get – I had intention for it. And some of that intention was to go get the structure, discipline, opportunity that you described. So, yes, 100%. The military provides so much opportunity. 
I mean, free. I was going to college for free while I was there. I was getting paid. I got a career. Um, I was taught leadership. I was put in leadership positions all with before I was 22 years old, right? I had a career. I had college money. I had leadership and management experience. I had discipline instilled. I wanted all that. Some people don't want that. So I don't agree that people should be made to join. I know, I know that there's com- countries that have compulsory militaries, Israel and, and so on. Um, and, and I've not gone in and investigate research like the output of that, but but that's a part of their culture too. So that's known. That's you know, as opposed to like U.S. has a draft tomorrow, there's going to be, you know, hell to pay. But um, so I, I think there's a difference of culturally that working or not. But um, so I don't I don't agree that people should just be made to go or drafted out of high school or whatever. I think they, but I think we should educate them to the opportunity because to answer your question in long form, 100. There's nothing but opportunity, but like everything else. If you're willing to go get it, if you're willing to put in the work, you know, if you're if you're going to join the military and just piss off and drink all day, all night, all weekend and not take advantage of it, you're going to get out of it exactly that or you're going to get in trouble and you're going to hate it and whatever. Because it's crazy. We talk about like freedom is it free and we talk about like there is truth in that. Like you, I don't get to decide when I'm in when we're in you talk to servicemen, they don't get to decide where they live, how they're going to dress, you know, what they're going to wear, how they're going to cut their hair. We do sacrifice our freedoms to volunteer and join join the military. We don't have the freedom to do what we want, Um, and some folks aren't ready for that. They they you know go against the grain and they get burned for it because we're held to a higher standard. Yeah, Jeff Jeff told said you know he said the same thing as well that not everyone comes out the other end transformed, Mm -hmm. and I think he effectively said the same thing you did. It's about intention. Yeah, right. Like I think. I think for me, the thing I like about the military, if you go in with the right intention, is it will mold you in terms of the, 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 the character piece. And of that character piece, again, if you have the right intentions and you're open to learning and transformation, you can then use that as a launch pad to do anything. Yeah. Right? And so, okay, so now you get out of the Marine. What do you do? So my last year in, um, you know, so back to time timing of this, this is early 2000. So now Internet's starting to take off. Uh, the availability of broadband is starting to tap into small, medium businesses. So my job in the Marine Corps was basically tactical data networking, where, again, I had the ability to interconnect IT systems, everything from the satellite all the way down to the cable on the ground. Um, and here we are, you know, with internet really starting to take off. Now there's technologies that were prior to that only reserved for enterprise, now accessible for small, medium businesses. I'm talking Blackberries, you know, things that we don't hear about anymore, but Blackberries, you know, all these things like you take for granted today, like this interconnectivity of our email on our phone, like back then, you know, that was just coming to life. And there's businesses, and I managed that on a large scale in an enterprise in the Marine Corps, I managed a network of uh, about 7,500 users. Um, and, you know, here I had small businesses out in town that were like, I'd run into them wherever and be like, they would show me their Blackberry and be like, my desk, my desk counter doesn't match here. And I would just fix it. And they, you know, I'm the best thing ever, you know, and, and, um, and that's really where really I, f- I fell in love with kind of like being of service to others with what I knew. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that, you know, I could make a computer stand up and do a backflip 
and people needed that. And especially small, medium businesses who now uh, couldn't afford a whole IT person, but they needed the benefit and scalability of IT. So I could kind of come in and bring these enter enterprise class mindset and capability to small businesses. So I started doing it while I was in the Marine Corps. I had, you know, half a dozen to a dozen clients out. Your side hustle. Side hustle. Yeah, that was my first side. Yeah, but I remember first time I got that. Yeah, here I am a freaking jarhead making less than minimum wage and you get written a $20,000 check for getting a project done on a Saturday. I was uh, on the golf course uh, back when Tiger Woods was hot that time. Um, he was out there at Torrey Pines and I was in the summer before I was going to get out and I told my wife, I said, hey, I think when we get back, I'm going to do this for real. I'm going to start a business. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and uh, came back home and uh, and and I took took a job with uh, uh, in the government at first because I had clearance and everything else. And then, but but I started getting to work, putting it together on the back end. Right. So your IT firm Corsica, effectively, you were an outsourced IT support partner. Mm -hmm. Then you basically you grew that business. And what was the intention like? You know, did you want to just keep it forever? Was it to exit? You know, what was that whole journey like? Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year. And we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast. The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. Yeah, the intention was not to screw it up. The uh, I, I didn't know, right? Like you have that question, like, what was your exit plan? Like, man, I didn't even have a business plan, man, like let alone an exit plan. I just knew like there was a formula and, um, and I wanted to, um, so ultimately what I did became an industry, not that I started it, but I didn't really know there's any, but it's the managed, managed services industry. Um, but see, my mindset was like, hey, I know how to manage large amounts of systems. And I was bringing that capability to small and medium businesses, right? So to me, I was just building an outsourced IT department and people were subs fractionally subscribing to it. And I was doing business for four years or so. And I got a cold call from someone and going, Hey, you know, there's this software and ticketing system and central management system, whatever, uh, for managed service providers like you, I'm like, what's, what's managed services. And they had explained it to me and, but it was just, that was my vision. It was what I was doing and somewhere else. I wasn't really watching it. You know, there was, there was an industry. And so then I got introduced to the industry and the tools that were available to me to really, really take off because I was taking uh, enterprise class tools and managing uh, my clients' networks from afar. And then when I learned that there was actually software and things designed for my business model, then it was off to the races. So what you're saying is before that, a lot of your processes and the way that you were managing your business was manual and not necessarily scalable. And you didn't realize that there was actually services and software that could support your 
yeah. business, which would then enable you to scale. Is that what you're saying? Right, exactly, exactly. So, so once that happened, then it was like, say, off to the races, because now I had a great um, uh, formula, if you will, like here I was having managed large scale networks and I'm my competition are guys that they knew how to fix hard drives. I knew how to freaking do everything like from a business side, large scale business side. So when I came into these businesses with like more of a enterprise management mindset, like I was a breath of fresh air because I was talking the right kind of language. I wasn't talking just viruses and hard drives. I was talking like what technology is meant to do, which is scale and automate and, you know, all that. Um, so I had a lot of fun with it again, because I just enjoyed enabling businesses. Right. So I'm not, a, so back to your point, I'm not a tech, nerd guy right i'm really capable in it but i'm not all like geeking out on the latest microsoft this or that and the other what was what i did it for and what i got out of it most in in terms of fulfillment was really solving problems for these businesses right and really help like all the way back to the guy going man my stupid blackberry doesn't look like my calendar or my thing and i go watch this it wasn't so much the technology, it was the satisfaction of solving that problem. And so, um, and, and that's, that was the business. I, you know, I really enjoyed doing it just from that perspective. So how long did you then stay on the tools yourself versus actually building the business? Did the business become big in terms of people? And how did you manage the complexity of I suppose being the one to actually do the solutions for the customers to then running business yeah um you know it was early on that that you know it was us doing a lot of the work um me doing a lot of the work and and i one of my uh, partners joined the company from the marine corps um you know we did the work but we quickly um you know, scaled i contracted myself into the government and contracted him into the government so we needed to hire people to do it for us in fact no you know i although i was doing some you know i had employed like before i was employed by the company i i hired my cousin for minimum wage and i worked out a deal right it's like hey when you're not billing i pay you minimum wage when you are billing i'll pay you double right and and so there was incentive for him to be out there billing and stuff like that and so i always were were adding people as we went and, and doing the work too um and so but yeah, and it grew over the years, just organically. Um, and then, you know, I think by the time I, I did my first exit, when I sold the company to the PE group, you know, we were around 60 people or so, something like that. Um, and I stuck around for another 18 months and we grew up to 200 people. So the private equity firm taps you on the shoulder what was their intention? They were trying to bolt you together with other firms. What was the reason that they saw you is a firm that they wanted to purchase? I'll get a sense that because of your Marines background and your clearance, you were, you had a unique position in the government, which probably wasn't easy. I'm assuming like, what was it about your business that made it attractive to the private equity group? Um, yeah, we were, well, number one, they, the one thing, main thing they cared about was profits. So we had no debt on the company. We were very profitable as a, and as a result, whatever. And we were, we were growing, um, you know, what they never understood was like how we didn't have like a true sales and marketing force. And then that was because we grew organically word of mouth and we, we, we had really low churn. We weren't losing clients. So if, if you're not losing clients, but you're adding one or two a month 
every single month, you watch that business grow. Um, we had, so we just had a really great formula. And, and I would say um, that spe- we were really a pioneer in the managed service industry that we were, in my opinion, a true managed service provider. I only had contract clients. I wasn't, in, I think you're a little in this space. Like I wasn't a VAR. I wouldn't sell a product or a project to anyone that was not a contracted managed customer, right? I'm a managed service provider. If you got a project, great. That's what VARs are for. We're not a VAR. We're a managed service provider. What's a VAR? A VAR is a value-added reseller. So that's what that's what the industry was before managed services, right? Like these are the guys that would sell you the servers and the computers and then charge you to come put it in and then charge you by the hour to come work on it. That's the old school way of doing it. But there's a lot of um, in the industry, and there still is to this day, like a lot of like throwing on the label, I'm an MSP. An MSP, you're just a VAR calling yourself an MSP. Um, So we were really profitable as a result of that. Uh, and that's what that's what attracted you know we, we were just outperforming you know the the industry and i i went really far i did hardware as a service software as a service you know i had a full it team of services helped us 24 7 like I wasn't a break fix shop. I mean, there was a lot of break fix breaks, still selling like block hours and all this crap. That's you're selling block hours, you're not an MSP, you're a VAR, you know. So, but we were a pure play MSP. Sounds like you were a trusted advisor, retainer model, 24-7, everything and everything. But with that comes a commitment from the client. So your client engagement process wasn't transactional as well. Correct. You were providing a strategic relationship, not a tactical one. Correct. And there's yeah. something to be said about that, right? So you now are acquired by the private equity. No doubt they want to bolt you together with other firms. They want to grow you. Was that process hard when you had to stay on? It is for a lot of reasons, um, you know, because you're <clears throat> I, I, I enjoyed it because I got to meet a lot of new employees and grow the company. Um, but when you're got that kind of growth, um, you get a lot of other, you know, folks coming, you, you need more leaders. Some of them are other founder owners. Uh, some of them did it their way. So there, now you start to bring in like pil- things that were never in the company before beyond our, my original core partner group, um, which and you, you got, especially you got a P firm, you got consultants coming in and yeah, you know, so, um, so there, there, but it's it's new levels, new devils, right? And and the way I looked at it, it's like you this is this is the new new game, right? So now you know, um, so you bring these guys in, and look, I learned a lot. I brought in a lot of great people, you know, smarter than I, and and um, really got to learn a lot. It was it was a great time in that regard. Um, I, I I learned so much in those those last eighteen months. I stayed on board because it was um, just that I was just getting exposed to so much more other markets, other leaders, other, you know, other founder owners and kind of seeing what worked for them. And that was kind of my goal was like, okay, let's take what was working for you and what wasn't working for you and fix it and bring it together and, and keep getting better with each acquisition, um, both sides, not just, I, I never was like, Hey, I, I know it all my way is the only way because that, that, that doesn't work. Um, and I was just trying to find like the various, um, ways we could solve each other's problems, you know, as we did the other acquisitions. No, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, one would have to be very kind of, you know, aware of what's coming up for us in a scenario where you've been running things up 
you know, a certain way. You've got other owner founders coming in. You've got consultants now, you know, telling you which direction you're going to go. It's, it could be a quite a challenging piece. So you exit Corsica. What did you do and how did you come to Lions Guide? I guess it goes back to that servant mindset. I mean, yeah, originally I just wanted to create t-shirts and like, like I've all been, I've always been into inspirational stuff and, and, you know, with YouTube the last 10 years, like finding a lot of speakers and really getting, just getting exposed. I was always in a big time reader. So, um, so I wanted to kind of like make t-shirts of stuff for myself. Really. I was like, I want to make some cool. You know, so I was looking at all these t-shirt brands. I was like, I want to make some, a brand, a line of t-shirts and, um, and just make some stuff I wear. And if other people want to buy it, great whatever you know it's just and so i was working with a brand strategist um and he challenged me after like our third second or third call he's like dale you know after hearing my story and how i did all these things that you and i have just talked about and he goes dale yeah you know, i got a question for you man and i was like what he's like you've done this business you grew this business you grew it to this point you've got all this success you've done all these other things and you think the best you've got to offer this world is to sell them t-shirts like what are you doing and I, at first I was like, hey, hey, man. And I took it as a compliment. I was like, hey, man, thanks. You know, no big deal. And then I, I, I you know, and I, I really just kind of patted aside. And I don't know, it must have just stuck with me. And over the course of the evening, I just started thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, what I really enjoyed, especially those last 18 months was working with my team, helping them grow, helping them solve their problems. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It got me out of bed in the morning for my, my team meetings, my one-on-one -on -one meetings, like really working on my team. And so I came back in the next meeting. I was like, you know, you're right. I want to go start helping people with what I've learned and help them because I knew the life that I lived as an entrepreneur and business owner and organizational CEO, it's the life of a high performer. And I was always feel, felt very alone. Uh, very like in my own head, you know, always trying to push myself, but unrelatable to that drive in, in others' eyes. And and so I wanted to go help fight the good fight for people who are on a similar journey that I was on and help them in that same capacity. Step, but except be the person I never had was someone that just like when I was making a BlackBerry do a backflip for you know my clients early on, I wanted to come in and go, hey, let me show you what you need to know about what it takes to be an entrepreneur, what it takes to be a CEO, what it takes to be an organizational leader. Let me help you and show you the way. And that's where it became lion's guide, not the t-shirt, but lion uh, symbolism of leadership, courage, heart, um, you know, king of the jungle. But I don't feel I've got anything special about me or any secret formula and all that crap. Like there's, there's six ways to a million things. I don't, I, I've got my, I've got some ways. But and that's why I just wanted to be a guide because I've I read forty to sixty books a year. I just wanted to help um, introduce people to the things I've learned, the things I've read. Because I would be having these conversations with folks, and I would go, "Hey, man, just go read the E Myth by Michael Gerber. Like it'll tell you everything." Like I was just dropping books on people, going, "Hey." this this will solve your problem and and one one person called me a book pharmacist at one point because i was just like they, they would be explaining the problem i go hey just go read this book because i would just I, I had just captured so much knowledge and experience and i just wanted to go help people in the same way i was for my direct reports now i wanted to go work with people eh, indirectly i'm not really in charge of them 
but I can influence them. I can help guide them. And, and there, there came Lions Guide. That's weird. Um, I think I just actually connected with Michael Gerber this week on LinkedIn. Well, you mentioned it. Yeah, it's a it's a book. It's been around a while, but Michael Gerber's great book called The E Myth. It's a- yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, it's it's bizarre. I, I I kind of his LinkedIn invite fell in my inbox, and I must have sent him an invite a long time ago. It's just bizarre that you mentioned him now. Uh, maybe something more than a coincidence there, but so I noticed with Lions Guide, it's 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 primarily a community, right? Like you're creating a community of other business leaders where you have this forum thought-provoking conversations, uh, support. It's primarily through LinkedIn. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it started off as coaching. I was doing one-on-one coaching engagements. And then, you know, look, I started this, you know, back, I guess it's coming up on a year now, so nine months. And at first it started as advisory and coaching sessions. uh, But then I went on and I created workshops where I called it the high-performance leader workshops where I'm going through and just again it's coaching and there's not a better word for it right we need coaches just like you know professional athletes coaches need coaches we need someone to help hold ourselves to our potential you know because you know i'd always say the hardest part about self-discipline is the self part you know and like holding ourselves accountable so uh when you're in charge and i guess that's the part uh, i was a bit alone like when you're a ceo as example you don't have a boss telling you what to do next or hey man are you really trying as hard as you could here and these things that you know help push us so Today I get I get paid to push other leaders in that capacity. Uh, again, I'm not in charge of them, but I'm here to coach them. Go, hey man, you know, are you are you trying as hard as you could here? Is is this you know? And just I just I'm just there for them, um, and and because they want to be better and they just want help to do so. So um, so yeah, it's been a been a community. So and I've been doing these workshops, one on one coaching. I've been doing Wednesday lives where I've been bringing podcast guests on who might have a framework or a book and they come and give a lecture, you know, so I do the podcast, but the, um, the lectures are, are more of the instructional version of some of these conversations. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's just, um, trying to help high performers out there. Yeah. I've been watching your work. It's kind of, we've kind of building this ecosystem of over the last year on LinkedIn with guys like yourself and, uh, and Jeff and, you know, Joel and Eve, and ironically, all you guys are in the military, but um, something to be said there. So in terms of habits, we always go into habits with our, with our, with our guests, right? Like, obviously we're ultra habits. We believe that the small actions, the things we do daily are, you know, they're the, the path to our salvation, our development, our greatness effectively. What would you say about habits what habits are important for you dale some big habits are establishing clarity having courage in leading is for me that that's that's my core um and and then tactically reading you know just i i read every single day um i work out every single day like you know there's just i've got to take care of my mind and body constantly and i know when i'm not whether it's travel or whatever something's screwing on my schedule um it, i can feel a distinct difference of when i'm when i'm putting in the work on myself and when i'm not and um so so i, I read every day and I, I book as much as an hour I, I read about an hour every single day that's why i can burn through so many books a year um and then setting the intentions like I, i've really gotten clear about um before i'm doing anything i'm i'm 
figuring out why, why am I doing this? You know, where does it fit with what I'm trying to do? So that way you, you can have a clear path without all these, you know, you're getting where you're going more directly instead of all this zigzagging, you know, for other people's agendas or distractions or whatever. And it's always, always leading, you know, no one's going to give me anything. I know that, you, you know, no one's got anything that was just given to them of, of value and you've got to get out there and earn it. So I, I always go just, always looking at how I'm going to get us, get myself to the next level. And that, and that includes like how I'm going to help other people or how I'm going to find a resource to help me and things like that. But, but that those resources ain't, aren't going to come just come find me and follow my lap and all that stuff. So that's, that's why leadership, I think is another real big core value of mine. Self-leadership. Well, look, it's been an amazing conversation, Dale. Your journey is remarkable. A small town kid, not a lot of direction. You know, you're a good kid. You're a humble guy as well. I think that would have helped. I think uh, no doubt you had that quality growing up, you know, that pivotal moment where you're laid out after getting your ass kicked and, you know, your mom says to you, what about this? Like a lot of kids may have said, nah, I ain't doing that shit. But I think like, you know, you have the humility and the heart and the willingness to want to learn at a very young age and be better. I think you knew that. And to see where you've come from and where you've gotten to, uh, is extraordinary, really, really extraordinary. So we want to thank you for coming on the show, Dale. Where can our audience find you, man? Where can they learn uh, more? Yeah, lionsguide.com. I've got a free, free, the community is free, so you can get out there and check out all the recordings, trainings, and all that stuff all around high performance and leadership. And then I'm on LinkedIn, so just search Dale Walls, look for the guy with the beard and, and, the, and the lion logo, and that's probably me. It's good branding. You, you got the lion face going on there, brother. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. No, but but I, it's been an honor to be on and meet you. And and hey, and you're one of them, man. You're out there, you know, another soldier in a good fight. And and you keep me inspired as well. And keep me on my game, right? And, you know, I see you out there. The most powerful leadership trait is setting an example. And you, you're doing that as well. So I honor you for that, RJ. So thank you. Appreciate it, Dale.